before I read God's word for us this morning, I just wanted to give a brief update. I know many of you may know me, uh, some of you may not. Uh, My name is Mike Fenema. I am the church planter and pastor at Spring Hill PCA. Um, First and foremost, I want to say thank you to you guys. Um, As Nate mentioned, my wife and I uh, worshiped here for quite a while as we were gathering folks together uh, before we launched our Sunday morning worship services, uh, which we did just celebrate our one-year anniversary, which is incredibly exciting. Um, So it is kind of a homecoming for us to come back here. Uh, Unfortunately, my wife and children are not with me this morning. They decided to stay, um, which I think is a good thing uh, because they wanted to worship with the people that they're used to worshiping with. And so they were just, uh, uh, they were given the choice and they decided to stay. Um, So uh, I am here by myself, um, but um, my wife's name is Stephanie. Uh, Her and I have been married uh, close to 13 years. We have five children. Uh, God in his providence uh, gave us our youngest son, Isaac. Uh, He is about a year old. Uh, And if you do the math, that's planting a church and having a child at the same time. Uh, As you can imagine, this past year has been full. Um, It's been very full. (laughs) So um, we are very grateful for what God has done um, and just extremely encouraged. Um, One of the things that has come with us celebrating our first anniversary is something we didn't anticipate. Uh, We are going to be moving as a church. Uh, God has gifted us with a new place to worship. Uh, It's called Concordia Arts Academy. Uh, It is literally about one to 200 yards away from where we're worshiping now. Uh, But the owner of that uh, establishment came to us several weeks ago and said, we have a space, and we're wondering if you guys would like to use that for worship. So it's going to be a great change for us, uh, an exciting thing as we come together and worship in a new space. Uh, It provides some things that we don't have currently at Heritage Middle School. Um, We actually have a place where we can keep our kids in the nursery, uh, a room, rather than kind of making a makeshift nursery at the end of a hallway. Uh, So for safety reasons, it's a great move for us. Uh, Also opportunity uh, for us to keep things on site so we don't have to do quite as much uh, loading and unloading as well. And what that means is that I don't have to haul a trailer every Sunday morning. (laughs) We can keep our things there. So that's exciting for me. Uh, My family and I can actually go to church together in the morning. So a little personal benefit there. Um, But uh, as, uh, um, as I bring the message this morning, I'm going to incorporate some of the things that God is doing at Spring Hill. Um, But one of the things that is really encouraging is the slow and steady growth that God continues to to bring at our church, uh, both in numbers, but also uh, in depth of community and in discipleship and in mission. Um, I'm going to share some of those things this morning. Um, But uh, what God is doing in and through our church um, is just a testament of the gospel and uh, the wisdom and the power of God. Uh, We're growing in community with one another. Uh, Discipleship, which is kind of the heartbeat of what we are trying to be about there, um, is continuing to progress and to deepen. Uh, Evangelism is starting to spread, uh, being on mission there in Spring Hill. Um, uh, Exciting things are happening. Uh, we, We move in two weeks. If you would like to come and encourage us, uh, please do. Uh, If you have friends, family members in Spring Hill uh, who would like to attend a a church there, I encourage you to uh, encourage them to to check us out as well. Um, 
As I mentioned in the first service, I don't know where we would be without the support, both prayerfully and the financial support of this congregation, uh, and also with Parish and Zion as well. Uh, I was told very early on as a church planter, there's going to be times when you feel like you're just completely alone, and that has not been my story. Um, I have not felt that uh, because of the support of the local congregations here. Uh, So please continue, keep that up. Um, Continue your faithful prayers and giving. Um, It has meant the world to us, and uh, we really do appreciate that. Uh, We feel like there is a partnership happening in in the gospel, that we're not just alone there in Spring Hill, uh, but there's a partnership with the the local congregations here. Uh, So thank you. Uh, at Spring Hill PCA right now, we're going through a, a series on 1 Corinthians. Uh, so we're going to be reading from 1 Corinthians this morning. If you have your Bibles with you, you can turn to the first chapter. We're going to be starting at verse 18 and reading through the second chapter and verse 5. So this is 1 Corinthians 1, verse 18. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers, Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. And when I came to you, brothers, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray together. Our most gracious God and our Father in heaven, as we come to sit underneath your word this morning, 
I pray that by the power and the presence of your Holy Spirit that you would impress it into our hearts, into our minds. Father, I pray that you would um, use this in a mighty and a powerful way that would show to the world your wisdom and your power. Father, I pray this morning that the words of my mouth, that the meditations of our hearts would be pleasing and honoring in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. And it's in Jesus' name alone that we pray. Amen. A couple of weeks ago, my wife and I were, like most people in the United States, uh, celebrating the national holiday that we call the Super Bowl. And during that, as many people do, not only did we pay attention to the game, um, but we also paid attention to the commercials. Um, One of them stuck out to us as one of our favorites, and uh, I want to describe that a little bit to you this morning. Uh, The commercial was for a mobile phone company, and I won't give the, the name of that company. They didn't give me any money to promote them, so we'll leave them anonymous. However, uh, the commercial opens this way. You see a man, he's sitting on a couch, and he hears this advertisement. And apparently the prices are very low for this company. And his response to the, the low prices is, that's not right. They're so low that he thinks, that can't be, that can't be correct. Their spokesman, who apparently is a cartoon fox, comes up and he says, it is right. And he responds, but chunky style milk says that's not right. And the scene cuts to a family, uh, a mother who likes to serve her, her family chunky style milk. And you have this kind of gut-wrenching, um, disgusting scene where the teenage daughter is at the same time drinking and chewing her milk, uh, enjoying it apparently. The, the husband comes in and he says, save some chunks for me. And my wife and I just about turned off the TV at that point. Um, it, it cuts back to the man on the couch, and he has just this utterly disgusted look on his face. And he's covering his mouth, and he says, that's not right. And it's true. Uh, Chunky-style milk is not right. Uh, in words that Paul uses in our passage this morning, it is, it's foolishness. Uh, parents, do not serve your children Chunky style milk. Uh, This is folly. Uh, This is the exact description that Paul attaches to the message of the cross. It's it's folly, it's foolishness. To those who are perishing, to those who don't believe in Jesus, the message of the cross seems to be ridiculous. It seems to garner the response, that's not right. But to those who are being saved, to those who do have faith in Christ, the message of the cross is a wise display of the power of God. 
In the first couple of chapters of the book of Corinthians, what Paul is doing is he is encouraging the Corinthians to set aside their disagreements and to be united with one another. And this is part of his argument during these these first several chapters that if God is all wise, if God is all powerful, if this is the message of the cross that we believe, then we should have agreements with one another, not disagreements. That we should be united uh, because of what Christ, God has done for us in Christ Jesus. And Paul really highlights the gospel here. He shows the powerful wisdom and the wise power of God that is made manifest through the cross. And so Paul is appealing to the gospel here, uh, the entire message of Jesus, the entire good news, but he, he focuses on the cross here. And he calls it a, a folly. He calls it foolishness. And as, as we read this, we need to understand the cultural context of, of what Paul is speaking into here. Uh, according to the Roman world, the message of the cross would be received as something utterly foolish, maybe the most foolish act that God could ever, could ever do. Because crucifixion, it wasn't just a, a form of execution. It carried with it uh, public shame. You know, when we execute capital punishment today, we can't do it in such a way that is, is cruel and unusual, that's unconstitutional. Well, they didn't have the Constitution back then. Um, they had no restrictions as we do. Uh, crucified criminals were stripped of every shred of dignity. Not only were they executed, but they were shamefully executed. Uh, to anyone who was living during those times, it would be foolishness to trust in someone who was crucified. You don't trust in a crucified criminal for salvation. If they heard that, their response would be similar to the man in the commercial. That's not right. That's not right. But this, this is how God has displayed his power. And even as Jesus came, Jesus didn't come as someone who was of noble birth. He didn't come as someone who had particular social status. He wasn't strong and powerful. And what he did even seemed foolish, even to his disciples. Those who were closest to him didn't fully understand what he was doing. When he performed powerful miracles, he didn't leverage his power in any way. Instead, he walked away from power. And at the height of his ministry, instead of gathering power to him, he gave it away. He allowed himself to be arrested. He didn't defend himself in his trial. He didn't call on legions of angels. Instead, he gave himself up. And every act of Jesus displayed the wisdom and it displayed the power of God. It's a wisdom that understood this paradox that the way to life was through death that the way to rescue his people was to surrender himself. And Jesus displayed the power of God. It was a power that endured. It was a power that persevered, that spurned the shame of the cross. It was a power that stayed, a power that could and that did raise from the dead. It was a power that accomplished salvation for all who believe. So because this is the truth of the cross, this is the, the power of God, the, the wisdom of God that is on display, because of this, Paul was encouraging the Corinthians, you don't have any room to boast. 
And because there's no room for boasting, because God has done it, we should all agree with one another. And so here's what we will look at this morning as our aim, that God is an all-wise and an all-powerful God, therefore we should not be divided. And we're going to see that in three ways this morning. Um, We're going to see that through worldly wisdom, God's power over our social status, and God's uh, power and wisdom over our own personal achievement. So first of all, let's look at worldly wisdom. The way that God saved the world through the cross proves that God has more wisdom and more power than anything that the world could ever conjure up. Since the beginning, since the garden, human beings have attempted to prove their own wisdom and their own power. Why did Adam and Eve eat the fruit? So that they could be like God, knowing good and evil. Why did the, the builders of the Tower of, Battle, uh, Tower of Babel um, construct this, this building? They did it so that they could make a name for themselves, so that they could reach the heavens. Uh, and Paul says in our passage this morning, uh, Greeks and Romans, what they, they sought to do was through wisdom and through philosophy uh, to, to understand, to, to seek out wisdom. Uh, today, we try to prove our intellect through science. Uh, the American dream, we try to prove our own power, that we can, we can achieve these things through our own strength or through our own wisdom. But what God does through his power, through his wisdom, is he makes everything else look foolish. In fact, it pleased God to save the world through the folly of what's happening right now, uh, the preaching of the cross. That doesn't mean that he found joy in that, that he found joy in the cross. What it means is that he made a conscious choice to choose what is foolish by the worldly standards to bring about salvation and to glorify his name. What it means is that our faith and our hope and our trust rest in God's power. They rest in in God's wisdom because anything else would simply be foolish. Maybe not foolish by worldly standards, but certainly foolish according to God's standard. So God saved the world through a very foolish message. Trust in Jesus, the Son of God who was crucified and raised from the dead. Jews hearing this message say, that's not right. The Messiah, the one who was to come, would never be cursed and die. The Greeks would say, that's not right. A crucified criminal, they're shameful. They're not saviors. As Americans, we would say, you know, that's not right. It doesn't leave me with anything to do. There's nothing I can achieve or accomplish. But this is God's story. This is his method of salvation. And it proves that he is the one who is wise, not men. It proves that he is the one who is powerful, not us. God gets the glory. He gets the credit. He deserves it. And if that's the case, if he gets all the glory and the credit, where, what room do we have for boasting? We have none. So does believing in this message of Jesus make you feel a little foolish sometimes according to the world? That's going to happen, and we feel it. But don't worry, because it's only foolish by worldly standards. According to God's standard, the standard that really matters, 
It's wisdom. And this is how God is rescuing us. So first, worldly wisdom. Second, how about social status? How does God's wisdom and power uh, outshine our social status? Um, Paul, beginning in verse um, 26, he calls the Corinthians to remember their calling. Um, It seems at first, as you read through this, that he may be insulting them a little bit, calling them to remember the things that they're not. Um, But he's not meaning any disrespect here. He's simply calling them to remember uh, who they were before God called them. Not many were wise, not many were powerful, not many of noble birth. He says, remember who you were. Because according to the worldly standards, they weren't much. They were simply normal people. And what, what Paul is doing here is drawing attention to the fact that God is the one. That God is the one who is saving and rescuing through his son, Jesus. God is the one who is turning the world upside down, as we read in these verses here. He's using the foolish to shame the wise, the weak to shame the strong. He is using the lowly to shame the lofty. Uh, According to urban legend, following the Battle of Yorktown, which was one of the most decisive battles in the American Revolution, uh, following that, uh, the song, The World Turned Upside Down, was either played or sung. Uh, We don't know if that was actually the case. It was probably written back into history, maybe. Uh, The earliest records that we have of that actually happened, uh, those records were written 100 years after the battle. So it may be some legend that we've written back in. However, uh, whether or not it was actually sung, uh, the song is very appropriate because after that battle and the surrender there um, by Cornwallis, the world was turned upside down. Um, It had just incredible ramifications uh, for the rest of the world. Um, And at that point, the patriots had a reason to boast because of what they had just done. This little ragtag army had just defeated a literal global superpower. The world had been turned upside down. And if that's the case, let the boasting begin. Look at what we have done. But if you compare that battle, the Battle of Yorktown, to the Battle of Jericho, it's a very different battle. And you know the story of the Battle of Jericho, that as the Israelites were entering into the Promised Land, Jericho was the first city that they faced. And God gave them a very unique battle plan. I want you to march around the city seven straight days. So the first six days, they did that one time. The seventh day, they marched around seven times. And as they completed that seventh trip around the city, they were called to blow trumpets and to shout. And what happened? The walls came tumbling down. There's no boasting for the Israelites there. God made the walls tumble down. God was the one who fought for Israel. God brought to nothing the things that are so that he is the one who gets the glory. That's what we see happening here with the Corinthians. And this is the beauty of the gospel. For those who trust in Jesus, we do have something to boast in, but it's not in our own abilities. It's not in ourselves What we should boast in is boasting in the Lord. We boast in God's wisdom. 
We boast in his power that brought about righteousness, that brought about sanctification, that brought about redemption through his son, Jesus. So like Paul does with the Corinthians, it's important for us to remember who we were before God called us. Um, It's important for us even now to have a proper view of ourselves. This is why throughout every worship service, we come to the Lord confessing. Because we need to realize the fact that we are sinners. When we have a proper view of ourselves, it leads to humility, to humbleness. We don't think that God chose us for any particular reason in and of ourselves, any particular standing or social status that we have, any particular power or wisdom that is within us. If we think that way, what happens is it leads to our pride. It leads to us looking down on others. But that's not how the Bible tells us to conduct ourselves. It tells us not to think of ourselves more highly than we ought. We need to have a proper view of ourselves. And when we do that, we have compassion, first of all, on ourselves, but also compassion on others. Because God doesn't call us based on our own wisdom, and he doesn't call us based on our own strength or on our own standing. And that's not how we should treat others either. That's why we as the church need to receive people with open arms from every race, every ethnicity, social status, economic level. We don't have divisions. We have compassion. The church must be a humble, compassionate, and welcoming place as we display the wisdom and the power of God. So God is wise and powerful, more so than worldly wisdom. God is more wise and powerful over our social standing, um, but he is also more wise and powerful over our talents, our own achievements, our own qualities. And Paul makes that abundantly clear in uh, chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. He makes it clear that the power that is being displayed here is the power of the Spirit. It's not the power of Paul. Paul reminded the Corinthians of his presence among them when he had planted that church. Uh, Just a little background on the Corinthian church. Paul had planted it on his second missionary journey. Um, And following the planting of that church, he had moved on to Ephesus. And then he went on a tour, strengthening uh, other churches as well, and then landed back in Ephesus. And while he was there, he heard about what was going on there in the Corinthians church. uh, This church that he had planted and pastored for about 18 months. And during that time in Ephesus, he wrote them several letters. Uh, Some of them are 1st and 2nd Corinthians, others that we have lost. And so he knew this church. He knew it because he was there in the beginning. Um, And he reminded them of what it was like while he was there as their pastor. He was not impressive. Uh, He was not like Apollos, which is another pastor that they had enjoyed. Apollos was gifted in oratory. Uh, He had a silver tongue. He was eloquent. Uh, This was not Paul. Paul said he wasn't full of wisdom. And what he did was he simply preached the foolish-sounding message of the cross. He wasn't gifted in these oratory forms of, of pathos and logos and ethos. Instead, he was weak and fearful. Paul wasn't fraught with wisdom. He was simple. He was focused He says, I decided to know nothing among you except for Jesus Christ and him crucified. 
But through Paul, God demonstrated his power through the Spirit. And because God used Paul to demonstrate power, people trusted in the message, not in Paul. They trusted in the message, not the messenger. I think that's important for us this morning as we consider this, that the gospel doesn't need dynamic and eloquent preachers for it to have effect in people's lives because the Spirit is the power source of the gospel message. Um, The fact that Spring Hill PCA exists just a little bit south of us here uh, is a demonstration of the Spirit's power and of God's wisdom. Uh, It doesn't exist uh, because it has a church planter who employs lofty speech and eloquent wisdom. Um, That's just simply not the case. Um, I know that I am not the most dynamic preacher in the world, and often I feel like I lack wisdom and eloquence. Um, My congregation knows that I tend to get a little emotional from the pulpit, um, sometimes even tearful. Um, The message that is brought is often simple. It's just focused on remembering the truth of the gospel and seeing that play out in our lives, particularly in Spring Hill. Uh, We focus on the means of grace, on sitting under God's word together, of celebrating the sacrament together as a family, of praying with and for one another. Um, It's very simple, and um, God's power is being displayed through it, and it's beautiful. Um, Somehow, in some way, uh, Spring Hill PCA is making an impact on the hearts and lives of people. Uh, This past week, uh, I asked several members of our congregation to just Uh, send me an email with some insights. I I asked them a very simple question. How is, uh, or how has Spring Hill PCA impacted you over the past year? And they sent me back some responses, and I want to read some of them to you this morning. And uh, by reading these, the goal is for us to see that the proof is not in the messenger, but it's in the message and the power of the Spirit of what God is doing uh, in people's hearts and lives. Spring Hill PCA has given me a place of community and fellowship to share in our sufferings, some of those which include cancer, and also our victories. It's a place to grow in the knowledge of God through his word and to encourage one another in life and in him. Spring Hill PCA has impacted me by becoming a family for me. I have, I have people here who care very much for my kids and for me, and it means a lot to have that kind of community here. One of the ways that Spring Hill PCA has impacted my family is that I've seen a maturing in the faith of our children. As a father of five young children, it just just brings me such joy to hear that statement. Um, They go on to say it's rare uh, in our church, uh, in a church for children to make, to be made to feel like they are needed. Um, But my kids know that they are a part of this church, and it's played out in their engagement in worship. That just warms my heart uh, to hear that. Uh, Spring Hill PCA has impacted me by providing a much greater community with other believers than I have ever had in any other place. That was not someone who was a former member of Cornerstone. Don't worry. (laughs) Uh, um, uh, One of the ways that Spring Hill PCA has impacted our family has been the heartfelt welcome as we moved into this area uh, I've felt uh, I've been helped in times of need and in shared meals together. 
We've enjoyed Bible studies and prayer outreach. Uh, Spring Hill PCA has impacted me by uniting me with other Christians that are strengthening my faith. Spring Hill PCA has given my family a place to belong and to worship God alongside other believers who truly know us. And Spring Hill PCA is providing, with us genu- providing for us genuine community, something we'd longed for and been praying about for many years. It's been encouraging us in our spiritual growth. Uh, Spring Hill PCA has been life-changing for our family. Um, as I read through those, um, partly in my pride, I was hoping maybe just once people would say, oh, Spring Hill PCA is impacting me because Mike's preaching is just the best preaching I've ever heard in my life. And I didn't get any of that. And that's good because <laughs> I don't need my ego stroked. Um, but it's proof that it's not in the messenger. It's in the message. Uh, God's power, his spirit is at work in Spring Hill. And it is very exciting to be a part of that. Um, one of the things that I've been reading to our congregation from the very, very beginning uh, is a particular passage from Ephesians chapter 4, uh, verses 11 through 16, where Paul talks about the, these offices of, of the apostle and the, the shepherd and the, the, the teacher are, are there so that they could equip the saints for the work of the ministry. And what we've been trying to foster there is a community where people are using their gifts, where we're all being equipped for the work of the ministry. And what I honestly believe is that when the body is using their gifts in works of ministry, that God's power is displayed and he is the one who gets the glory for that. Um, And I pray that that would happen here at, at Cornerstone as well. Uh, You guys have been gifted with an incredible pastor and preacher in Nate, uh, a man of incredible wisdom um, and who has a a heart of a servant. I love coming forward here to to receive communion from Nate because I know I'm going to get a smile and a hug, and I love that. Um, But the power that is at work in here does not come from the messenger. It comes from the message. And I know that Nate would never want the power of this church to rest on his shoulders, and it shouldn't, and it doesn't. Um, I pray that this church would always be a demonstration of the spirit and of the power of the gospel so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men or in a man, but in the power of God. And I pray that that would always be the case here at Cornerstone. And I hope that knowing that power, that the power rests in the spirit, not in the messenger, but in the message, I hope that gives you encouragement as you are encouraged to share the gospel in mission. The effectiveness of your witness doesn't depend on your own wisdom. It doesn't depend on your eloquence, your ability to say the right thing or to to have all the answers. Our effectiveness in witnessing depends on the power uh, of the spirit the power of the message of the gospel. And it's a power that goes beyond anything that we could ever conjure up in our own wisdom or in our own strength. So as we conclude this morning, um, God is an all-wise and an all-powerful God. And he leaves no room for division among us. He leaves no room for boasting. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. Our worldly wisdom, our status, our personal achievements, pale in comparison to what God has done for us in Christ. There is no comparison. Our wisdom, our status, our achievements are nothing. Our foolishness compared to the wisdom of God. 
And what that means for us is that if we ever start to trust in those things, in our own strength or wisdom, we need to respond as that man in that commercial with, that's not right. That's not right. But what is right is that our all-wise and our all-powerful God has reconciled us, has reconciled us to himself through the folly of the message of the cross. So if you have never trusted in this foolishness, I pray that you would trust in this message. It may appear as foolish, but in this message, the wisdom and the power of God are being revealed. And it's a power and a wisdom that can save all sinners. And if you have trusted in this foolishness, in the folly of this message, I pray that you would embrace the foolishness. I pray that we would be united in our boasting. And it's a boasting not in ourselves, but in what Christ has done. May we boast together in the powerful wisdom, in the wise power of God. And as we come to the table this morning to celebrate what God has done for us in Christ, I pray that we would agree with one another, that we would be united in the wisdom and the power of God that has rescued us, weak and foolish sinners. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, um, as your servant Paul has declared, uh, God, I pray that we would know nothing except for Christ and him crucified. I pray that the wisdom of this world would pass away, that our, our status among men would come to nothing, that our own personal achievements and our talents, uh, Father, I pray that they would be utterly focused upon you. Uh, so that you and you alone would receive the glory and the honor. Father, when we boast, I pray that you would humble us, that we would confess our sins. But when we boast in you, Father, I pray that we would be united and give you the honor and the glory that you deserve. I pray that we would see and know your wisdom and your power. And I pray that it would cause us to be a people who are united, who are preaching the folly of this good news of what Christ has done for us. I pray that you would be our vision, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.